I want to invite you to turn with me um, in your Bibles to Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book in our New Testaments, in particular, to turn to Matthew chapter 6. Um, as I mentioned earlier tonight, we'll begin a series of sermons um, in this famous prayer, often called the Lord's Prayer. Um, tonight, we will take a look at what is sort of the setup within Jesus' sermon to his teaching on the Lord's Prayer. And then we will look at one petition at a time. There's several things asked for in the prayer, and that's how we proceed in the coming weeks. And as is our custom, we will will pair um, this reading, our sermon text, with a reading from the opposite testament. Tonight, it is the book of Lamentations, and Will Sorrell will read that for us. A reading from the book of Lamentations, the third chapter, beginning in verse 25. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And from Matthew chapter 6 beginning in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door And pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, in your kindness and in your mercy, we ask by the power of your spirit that you would now do the thing that only you can do. Lord, and that is by the power of your spirit that you would shine light on these words that are in your word? Would you shine light on the words that I've prepared? Would you shine light on places in our hearts where the light needs to be shown? Lord, and would you use these words to great effect in our hearts and in our souls? And would you use them to give us great hope in our Lord Jesus? It's in his name that we pray. Amen. So there are two things that I take in a lot of at this point 
in my life. One is performances, and the other is explanation. And that's mostly because of the calling I have to be a parent to my three kids. I take in a lot of performances, a lot of recitals, a lot of school plays, a lot of sporting events, um, a lot of sporting practices, a lot of sports scrimmages, and a lot of general in the backyard, hey dad, watch this. I also take in a lot of explanations of about all kinds of things. Now, I'm going to share just a couple of examples, and I always share these things with permission, okay? So recently, I was at a sporting event, and one of my children, um, uh, during a particular play in the game, quickly looked up and caught my eyes to make sure that I was watching. Or after a play was over, quickly look up and catch my eyes to make sure that I'm watching. And then another one of my children the other day came to me with a very elaborate explanation. And it went like this. Um, This child of mine said, Dad, um, so my lunch at school, you know, is at 1040. And that's pretty early in the day. And during the 1040 lunch, a few minutes went by, and I realized I wasn't eating because I was talking to Duke. And while I was talking to him, my teacher told everyone to quiet down, so then I got a little more distracted. And then I kind of realized I hadn't eaten much of my lunch yet. And so, you know, that was a long time ago. So, like, now I'm a little bit like, and I said, baby, do you just want something to eat? And this child of mine said, yeah. (laughs) Now, I want you to imagine something with me. This is a thought experiment. Imagine for a second that I was the perfectly attentive father. That there was never going to be a moment in which I was not paying attention There was never going to be a moment where I zoned out because I was tired or fatigued. There was never going to be a moment when I was distracted by another thing going on in my life. That there was never a moment that I was looking down at a a phone or, or something else, but they always knew they had my perfect, exact attention. Or, imagine if... My children never had to explain the depths of what was going on inside of them. Because I was a perfectly understanding father able to know what was going on in their hearts without them having to explain themselves. Imagine that for a moment. Do you have that in your imagination? can now do God. That's what this sermon is about. 
See, Jesus wants his disciples to know at the outset of learning to pray that they have access to a perfect father who sees them and knows them. In fact, that's the main thing I want you to hear this afternoon. If you do not hear anything else that I say, I want you to hear this. In Jesus Christ, you have access to a perfect father who always sees you and always knows you. To put it another way, because of Jesus Christ, when it comes to God, you have nothing to prove. If you have nothing to prove before God, then you certainly have nothing to prove to anyone else. I want to just unfold this for you, just one idea at a time. So this, this section where Jesus gets into prayer, you might notice in your Bibles, you might be familiar, comes in a famous teaching that he gives called the Sermon on the Mount. And in this part of the Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Mount in general is about a new kind of righteousness, an upside-down kingdom that has a new and fresh way of being right before God, which is actually just the way that God had dealt with his people all along. But Jesus had come to fulfill this righteousness and to show people what it looks like. And he's giving a sermon about this new righteousness. And he turns his attention to prayer. In the preceding text, his attention actually is on how we give. This text, how we pray. The next text, how we fast. This is Jesus' teaching on prayer. In other passages that run parallel to this, for example, in the Gospel of Luke, the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, could you please teach us to pray? And this is the teaching he gives them. This is Jesus' perhaps most famous teaching on prayer. And of course, it's famous in Christian history. Martin Luther, the Protestant reformer, would argue that there's three parts of the faith that one had to really understand. The first was the Ten Commandments, because the Ten Commandments shows what ought to be done and what ought to be left undone. But according to Luther, being shown the Ten Commandments only makes you more aware of your sin, so therefore you need to look outside of yourself for salvation. And according to Luther, the Apostles' Creed perfectly shows you the salvation that God has won in Christ. But according to Luther, once you know your need, you know where to look for your need, you have to have a way on a daily, hourly basis to take hold of that need. And for Luther, the way to do that is this prayer. If you are here today and you need to take hold of the promises of God and the very real things that you're facing, this prayer is for you. Which is a way of saying it's for everybody here today. But Jesus begins by talking about what we're not to do when we pray. See, often a very good way of teaching is to begin by saying, but this is what you shouldn't do. 
Whatever prayer is, it's definitely not this is where he goes first. Look with me at verse five. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Jesus is talking about this group of people in the ancient world in ancient Palestine um, known as the Pharisees. The Pharisees are kind of like a political party. They're sort of like a renewal movement and their movement had become corrupt at the time of Jesus. They're opponents of Jesus in the gospel stories. And these, this is a group of people that think they have to impress God with their works of piety, their expressions of faithfulness. But Jesus sees through it that not only do they think they have to impress God, but because they think they have to impress God, they think they're supposed to impress others. Look what he says, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. And apparently this is what the Pharisees would do. They would march around, they would walk around, and they would pray these, these loud prayers in public places in order for people to be impressed with their piety. There's this example in the New Testament where we're told that the Pharisees would sometimes pray something to the effect, I thank God that I'm not like these people who are not as piously devoted as I am. I'm so thankful I'm not a Gentile. I'm so thankful I'm not, it's, it's self-righteousness to impress others. And Jesus is using them as an extreme example. But of course, we have to ask the question, what about us? See, you and I live in a world that tries to convince you that it's a never-ending job interview almost. Where you have to be putting on display, you have to be always showing off something to try to gain attention or approval or security or comfort or try to just prove something. We live in a world that presses us in that way, but it also ignites something inside of our sinful flesh. We desire the attention of other people. And if we don't think we're supposed to impress God, then we at least think we're supposed to impress others. And what Jesus is saying here, and hear me closely, Jesus is encouraging his disciples to trade a life of performing before God and performing in front of others, to trade that life for a hidden life with God. This is what Jesus says. They do this so that they can be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. What Jesus is saying is it will work too well. People will become impressed with you. And you'll enjoy feeling like they're impressed with you for your devotion, even to God. You'll like the feeling of it. It will be rewarding for you. But the problem is that will be the only reward. And Jesus is saying there is something 
more than recognition from others. There's something richer, there's something sweeter, there's something better than recognition from others. What, what is that, Jesus? What is that better, sweeter, richer thing? Verse six, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who is in secret will reward you. When Jesus is talking about the secret place, homes in ancient Palestine likely had a closet of some kind that was like a supply room. It's usually the only doors in the ancient world that could be locked in your ordinary home. So what Jesus is saying in a hyperbolic way is rather than praying in order to impress other people, to go as far from that attitude as you possibly can in prayer. That's essentially what he's saying. And he's saying that when you're in that secret, hidden place with God, he will see and he will reward. And you might ask, well, what's the reward? And I think the reward is that he will see. And you might be here tonight and you say, okay, so Joel, you're telling me the reward is just the fact that God will see. That doesn't seem like that great of a reward to me. And what I'm telling you is just wait. Because the fact that Jesus himself, that our Lord himself, that the Father will see you will grow infinitely more satisfying to you all the time. It is an unspeakable reward to simply be seen by the God of the universe. It's its own deeply satisfying reward. So Jesus is saying you don't have to get the Father's attention. The Father already sees you. Now Jesus moves to some thoughts about the words we speak when we pray. Look at verse seven. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they will be heard by their many words. It's a strong language. Do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do. Quite literally, it's something strong like you don't have to just go on and on and on and on. Because you're not heard because of the kind of words you can string together. And he says that's what the Gentiles do. See, ancient pagan religion really did believe that. It, it believed that you had to somehow get God's attention and you had to be able to get his attention by somehow saying the right things before the deity. You had to catch the deity in the right mood at the right time with the right kind of babble talk in order to get the deity to respond to you. A great example of this in the scriptures is the famous scene in the book of Kings with the priests of Baal. If you remember that scene in the scriptures, the priests of Baal, this foreign deity, 
are dancing and they're marching and they're all day long putting on this great show to try to get the Baal to wake up. Elisha, the prophet, actually makes fun of them for that. Oh, does your God not hear you? Maybe he's sleeping. See, Jesus is saying you don't have to be like that. Why, Jesus, why, why? Why can we approach God with such freedom and security? Why? Verse eight, do not be like them. Why, Jesus? For your father knows what you need before you ask him. Instead, pray then like this, our Father who's in heaven. See, if you approach God from the standpoint that he is a perfect Father who already knows what you need, see the fact that he knows what you need and that he knows you is the reward. See, the reward is that he knows you. And you might be here this afternoon to say, well, that doesn't sound like that much of a reward to me. And I'm here to tell you, just wait. The fact that God knows you will become infinitely richer and more rewarding to you all the time, even if it doesn't make your life easier. Uh, just a, a quick side note. One of, one of the great things about God, and this is God we're talking about, this is the Lord we're talking about, so what I'm about to tell you is really saying something. It's one of the best things about him. But one of the great things about God is, is he, can't, he can't grow. He can't become more than he already is. In other words, our Lord is as attentive to you at this moment as he ever can be. So therefore, you never have to try to coax him to get more attentive because he's already fully attentive to you. So one of the unique features of his character is that he's always fully the fullness of who he is. Or for example, you don't have to coax him to try to become more knowledgeable about your needs because he already knows them. I want to just conclude tonight by just trying to speak to your heart in, in two ways. First of all, Jesus Christ, the same one giving this teaching on prayer, will get up from this scene. He'll continue to teach. He'll continue to heal. He'll continue to do his ministry all the way to the cross. And the scriptures teach us that Jesus goes to the cross in order that he might bring us to God. Jesus goes to the cross, the apostle Paul tells us, in order that he might give us access to this same father. In other words, Jesus is going to provide the very access that he is calling for here. He's going to ensure in his own person, in his own work, the very access to the Father that he is promising. Christ wins this kind of access for you.
If you are in Christ, you have access by the power of the Spirit to this same Father, the Father who sees you and knows you exactly. Second thing I wanna say is that I cannot possibly know. I cannot possibly know the things that are going on in your life. I cannot possibly see all the different things that are happening. I cannot possibly see or know the pains, the stresses, the insecurity, the fears, the feeling like you have to prove, the feeling you have to sort of win, the feeling that you have to achieve, the feeling you have to impress, the feeling that you've got to explain and explain and explain and explain, and I can't possibly know all the deep places of exhaustion and of weariness because you feel all those things. I can't possibly know. But what I'm here to tell you, I'm here to tell you that there is a father who sees. There's a father who knows. Let's pray. What is our prayer? by the power of your spirit that you would give us deep comfort Lord with these words from your word Lord these things obviously are easier to talk about from a pulpit than to take hold of in the very real things that we face so Lord would you use them to give us great comfort and great hope Would you meet us in the deep places, we pray, in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.